Hi, James. Ben, how are you? Uh, I'm okay. Uh, we, we, are, we are having to do our second intro because I gave you too many graphic details about the condition of my arm. Yeah, that, that okay has a whole lot of uh, subliminal meaning for me that I'm going to try not to think about anymore. <laughs> yes, so uh, the good news is I have, I have the cast off my wrist. I now have like a brace. Um, the pin that was supporting my uh, apparently dislocated wrist, I, didn't realize, I, I actually didn't realize that originally that it was that serious, uh, is out. Um, which is good in the long run. I, I actually have hope that as I kind of regain movement in my elbow, which is a bit of a, a thing as well, I, I might be able to type. But in the meantime, like my wrist is like, this is the first time it's been like unsupported. And so I, it's pretty painful. Mm. Um, so if I, if, I, if I seem a little out of it uh, during this podcast, you, you will know why. I, I thought you were about to say, if I start randomly swearing, uh, you'll know why. It's right. blaming the I, wrist as opposed to me. <laughs> right. I mean, I usually, I usually keep in my, my, my shouts of pain in reaction to your points. Um, so, but so this time, if they come out, they're, they're just, they're uh, unlike normally, they're not directed at you. They're, yes. they're directed at my wrist. I also know from our first intro not to ask any more questions about that pin. So I will not do that this time around. Yeah. It's crazy. They just yank it out. Um, okay. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Wealthfront. Wealthfront's an automated investment service built for the modern era, and it's making it easier than ever to invest your money well. How do they do it? Well, Wealthfront uses software instead of retail locations, salespeople, and so on. So it can offer sophisticated investment advice at low costs that were previously impossible. It's exploded in popularity in the last two years, and they now have more than $2.5 billion under management. Check them out at wealthfront.com exponent to get up to $15,000 managed for free. Our thanks to Wealthfront for, again, uh, sponsoring Exponent. Uh, so so this week, uh, I wrote about a topic, and we actually talked about it earlier this week, that we've actually covered, uh, at least in passing, uh, on, on Exponent. Um, no pun intended. It, it, <laughs> it, if it were intended, it would have been much more on the nose. Uh, and that is, that is Cars. Um, I think we've we've kind of mentioned the Apple Car. We've certainly talked about Uber, mm. um, and which is interesting because I think the, the it, what does Apple Car have to do with Uber? I mean, it, it certainly has something to do with transportation. But I think the first thing to to think about with cars, and this was kind of the point I I I wanted to make, um, or or a point to make, is that there certainly is change happening with cars. I mean, you, you almost every day there's an article about something related to 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 cars and transportation. Uh, but what's interesting is, uh, it's easy to just kind of think, oh yeah, change is coming. Um, but if you step back and think about it, there's actually some very distinct axes that this change is coming on and they're not necessarily related. Um, and, and those axes are one kind of the shift in drivetrain from the internal combustion engine to electric, uh, shift number two is a shift from, uh, human drivers to, uh, autonomous driving, self-driving cars. And shift number three is the shift uh, from personally owned and operated automobiles to kind of transportation as a service, when you like mm-hmm. Uber and, and things like that. And all of these, when you back up and think about uh, the car, uh, they, they aren't necessarily related. I mean, like a Tesla, for example, is driven by a human and owned and operated by an individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a Google self-driving, you know, well, the self-driving cars don't quite exist yet. Uh, but like something like Uber, Uber uses a driver 
and an internal combustion engine. And, you know, the vast majority of uh, of Ubers. So the, if you look at you can look at them each individually. Obviously, if you back out and look at transportation as a whole, there is an inner interplay there. But kind of teasing out where they matter on an individual basis and where they matter in conjunction is is I think interesting. And and uh, you know, thinking about what the future will look like and how we'll get there. Yeah, and you make the point in the article that it's easy to imagine this endpoint of self-driving cars that are all electric powered, but there's that um, famous quote from Snow Crash, the future's already here, it's just not evenly distributed. There's a a long way to go between here and now and how that all plays out is going to be super, super interesting. It is, and I and it, I mean, it's interesting to think, even think about, it, and it's not clear like which of these uh, developments is is further along than the other. I mean, let's start with let's start with the drivetrain change. I mean, like, mm. uh, what's what's intriguing about the shift from uh, the internal combustion engine to electric is, uh, well, for one. It, the thing with the auto industry, like most industries, is it's been relatively static for for a really long time, and that's actually what you would expect, um, particularly when it comes to. I mean, the internal combustion engine is is a very complicated thing. It benefits greatly from kind of accrued experience and scale, and uh, you know, massive supply chains with high degrees of specialization, mm. and and you see that in lots of industries where a new a new paradigm comes along. There's an explosion of of innovation, uh, you know, Cambrian explosion to use the term. Uh, lots of innovation, lots of companies trying to figure it out. And there were like thousands of car companies like at the turn of the century, right? Mm. But now, it, like in the US, there's three and there arguably should be fewer. I mean, Chrysler had to be bailed out in the 80s. Uh, both Chrysler and GM were bailed out during the Great Recession. Mm. Um, and and that's, but that's, that's normal because once the kind of, it's figured out the the kind of core technology. Then what happens is uh, the advantages start to accrue to scale and to manufacturing prowess. And what happens is innovations that come along in the future, and certainly the cars of today are much more advanced and better than the cars of 100 years ago, but all the intervening innovations have been, you know, to use the technical term, sustaining innovations, mm. where and sustaining innovations. Uh, work in the incumbent's favor where they can bring to bear their scale, they can bring to bear their uh, brand, their access to customers, and and integrate those innovations such that there's not really any room for a new entry to, to, to come in. Uh, and that's certainly been the case. And the big question, the most interesting about electric is because that wipes out such a big component of building a car and the most difficult component of building a car, at least from a, a you know an, an engineering perspective, does that mean that there's a reset where there actually is now room for new companies to come in because the the advantages of the incumbents have been uh, significantly impaired? I, I think that's partially true. Um, it's it's interesting the way you describe the evolution of the automotive industry back when it was going from horse-drawn car to cars. There were thousands of these car manufacturers that popped up, and I think I think a, 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 a sliver of your answer lies in looking at what's happened over the last ten years with this emergence of a new drivetrain, which is. Uh, electric. Um, there were, yeah, there were some new, um, there were some new manufacturers that popped up, but by and large, they've all 
kind of disappeared bar for one Tesla. Um, and the nature of both the electric cars and of uh, that the, the existing manufacturers are selling and also Tesla is that these are typically more expensive than your average combustion engine car. I would, I would classify this, it looks to me to be a sustaining innovation in terms of it's it's it fits into the existing business model of the the manufacturers. I don't think this upends their business models. Um, I, I think there will be some really interesting stuff that happens in terms of powering uh, powering these vehicles, particularly for long distance travel. Like what happens to gas stations as the prevalence of these things increase. But I, I don't think it up. Uh, it, I don't think it upends it, it like the the basic mechanism of of making and then selling a car remains. Yes, the comp, the complication or the changes allowed Tesla to come in. But for example, BMW is reported to be saying that within ten years, all their cars are going to have at least some component of an electric drivetrain. And I feel like of uh, this fits into their existing business models. And of the three things you picked up in your article, this actually makes it the least interesting to pick on for exactly that reason. So, well, then that I guess the question I would have for you is if you are classifying the shift to electric as a sustaining innovation, mm. then does that mean you are in the long run uh, pessimistic about uh, Tesla and and the Apple car. Uh, it's it's a leading a very interesting question and a leading question. I am pessimistic about Tesla and the Apple car, but I'm not pessimistic about them because they're electric. I'm pessimistic about them because of the other two elements in the in in your article. That's. That's where I think it gets super interesting, and that's where I think the answer lies in terms of figuring out who comes out on top. Interesting. Well, let's let's say that for for for, for just a moment, because I think um, you you also mentioned one another thing that's really interesting about about uh, Tesla, and it's the fact that they've they've come in at the top of the market, mm. and um, almost certainly uh, Apple will come at the top of the market too. And what's interesting is is, is it's kind of taken as a given that electric cars are a better option. Mm. And certainly from an environmental standpoint, that is, that is the case. Uh, you know, th- just the efficiency of getting power off the grid is significantly higher than, than getting it, you know, generating it on the go. Mm. Um, but what's interesting is, uh, you know, the vast majority of cars are, are not sold at, at, at Tesla like prices. They're, they're sold to the mass market mm. and it's not it's not it's not obvious uh that like why why would Joe consumer like for example GM one of the, one of the, one of the items I know in my article is GM is, is coming out with uh the Chevy bolt mm. and after federal subsidies it's it's expected to cost around thirty thousand dollars like thirty eight thousand dollars without them mm. and it's a it's a very basic Car. I mean, it, it, it has a nice big touchscreen, whatever. That's great, and it's got supposedly has a lot of interior room. But I mean, we're not talking about what, like the, the what you're going to get from driving that around. Is yes, some people will say, "Oh, wow, that's an electric car," but you're not necessarily driving around and um, demonstrating your status or your wealth or or something. <laughs> Unlike something. with a Tesla, <laughs> right? It, well, but that that kind of raises the question: is what 
benefit are consumers getting from this? I mean, yes, you can do some, uh, when it comes to the total cost of, like theoretically the advantage of electrics is the total cost of ownership, even though you pay more upfront, but you're in the long run, it's going to cost less, right? Yeah. Well, there's a few things going on here. Uh, one, you know, in general, uh, people aren't very good at calculating the total cost of ownership of, yeah, of, of totally. what they buy. Uh, and, and, Whereas the upfront cost is much more important. Mm. Um, two, uh, oil prices are plummeting, have been for a while, and there's lots of uh, systematic reasons or secular reasons to expect them to remain low. Mm. Specifically, the rise of fracking and just the the massive surge in oil production in the United States, in particular. Mm. I mean, this is a genie that's going to be that's going to be very hard to put back in the bottle, right? Uh, and so you have ongoing low oil prices, which lowers the total cost of ownership for an internal combustion mm-hmm. engine powered car. You have a much lower upfront cost. Uh, uh, the, higher upfront. Oh, sorry. Internal no, for combustion. an internal combustion yep, car. Yep, totally. And then three, it, when it comes to the average consumer, they can't, like, they're not going to have a backup, right? If I have a $90,000 Tesla, I know that I can easily, well, we'll just take the BMW SUV when we go visit grandma 500 <laughs> miles away, or, or we'll fly. <laughs> oh. But that's the reality for most Tesla owners, right? right. Yeah. It, for the average person buying a $30,000 car, that's... one, they're not going to buy airplane tickets for their family to fly to visit grandma because that's just not an expense they can realistically afford. Mm. Two, they're not going to have a backup vehicle or want to rent. Like, like actually, I... The, 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 you're questioning the ascendancy of electric? I to I am to at least at least in the immediate future. I'm just I I think there's uh I I don't think it's a surprise that uh Tesla is coming in at the high end, not just for their stated we're gonna generate revenue from the high end to fund, you know, building a lower end car, yeah. but the selling proposition to the low end is I think uh less clear than than people assume. So I I totally agree with that statement. Like there's been such an investment in infrastructure to make the delivery of oil to people's vehicles and the development of the internal combustion engine over the the last hundred years. It's remarkably efficient given where it started. I think the one thing that um, what you just described doesn't take account of is actually regulation and regulation out of some very important markets. Uh, California is pointed to in the US as the leader of automotive regulation, but actually more stringent than this is the European market. And I don't think that people are going to be adopting cars, uh, electric cars, because there's there's a fantastic uh, a fantastic customer proposition to be had. They're going to be doing it because the EU is um, is enforcing uh, these very strict uh, fleet emi- uh, emissions, uh, vehicle fleet emissions rules. So basically, looking at the entire, um, like all all the cars a manufacturer sells, they have to come in under this amount of CO two produced, and that is going to cause the manufacturers to start to. Like I think it kicks in in 2021 and then 2023, the next round of tightening. It's going to cause the manufacturers to start to say, there's no way we can make these uh, uh, regulations, no way we can meet them unless we... um, unless we uh, adopt electric cars. Now, in an ideal world, the better way of dealing with this would be governments raising uh, the price of gas. Um, 
And actually, in a lot of markets, that's what's happened. But the, 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 the other way, so that's the demand side, the supply side and the regulation on the supply side is what I think is going to force the adoption of all these vehicles. Manufacturers are just not going to be able to afford to continue to sell pure gas. So the next thing is, is um, I think there's an interesting way to think about here is the self-driving cars. And uh, what's interesting is we I mentioned that Tesla, for example, uh, like Tesla, these, are, these aren't necessarily intertwined, right? Tesla will sell you a car that a human drives and an individual owns, right? Uh, Uber will provide a car with a driver and an internal combustion engine that you can pay to use as a service. Mm. Um, and so like these three trends in the long run, you can see them all being tied together. But in the meantime, they're kind of developing, they're kind of developing separately. Well, mm. the kind of the one, the one area where you can say, well, no, actually, no, is 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 for Tesla, for example, they just, you know, in the past few weeks or 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 will in the next couple of months, I can't remember the exact timing, have like an over-the-air update that will uh add uh basically self-driving in some circumstances, primarily, um, particularly on, on highways, which is kind of the easiest problem to solve, uh, you know, especially if there's, if there's high visibility. But we are, we've had cars for a while that will self-park. Uh, Tesla's adding like a fetch option where your car will come to you in the parking <laughs> lot or something. Um, and so that's one approach, just sort of incremental. The car is helping you do mm-hmm. more and more on the road. There's still a human there behind the wheel, mm-hmm. um, but the car is is taking over more and more. This is, yeah. So th- this is <laughs> this is the one I am much less bullish about. And th- there are two ways of looking at it. Um, and I think one of the ways is looking at it through a technology development lens, which is um, which is uh, the Google like Big Bang. We're going to just do self driving cars. Right, because well, that, that, that's the option too. Because number one is the incremental approach with, right. adopted by Tesla and all the existing car manufacturers, and the other is the Google. No, like it should be one hundred percent driven by the computer. That's actually better. It's it's safer because once you once the car is taking over for the human, the human is just going to stop paying attention. So if you need the human to take over, they're not going to be prepared to take over anyway. Um, and so Google is is is. In Baidu, I think is probably the other one is much more on the pure self driving versus the incremental approach. So there, there are there are two very different approaches uh, in this area. And so the interesting thing to me about this is so yeah, there's the technology side, but the technology is inescapably tied to the business model side. And this this incremental approach that Tesla and others are taking. So the Germans have had the radar radar controlled cruise control for ages and. I've been in a Volkswagen Golf that parks itself and it's kind of a surreal experience. But from a business model perspective, fundamentally, these are all sustaining innovations. These these are all ways of getting more money out of existing consumers. And this is fundamentally the reason I think that self-driving cars have been uh, uh, have have like Mercedes managed to get one of these vehicles to drive itself. Um, between two big cities, and admittedly, doing it on highways is the easiest of the lot. Back in the 1980s, the the, the issue I think for me isn't so much of thinking of this as a technology problem. And yes, the last one percent is devilishly hard, but it's the business model that's that's fundamentally caused this to not succeed. It's the way that the manufacturers are thinking about it is how can we use this technology to get more money out of existing customers? And I think. What will cause this to 
explode and start to look more like the Google model is when you start to change the fundamental business model to something that's disruptive. When it's not about how to make more money out of existing consumers, how to improve the driving experience. Like I, I it, it's when it, it goes to how can we provide the service at a much lower cost. I remember just as an interesting, or a couple of interesting anecdotes is when you start thinking about it this way, you see it everywhere. I went to a VLAB session with a bunch of different automotive industry experts. And I remember the guy from Mercedes getting up on stage talking about this in traditional uh, sustaining language to what I thought. It's like, yeah, we'll we'll introduce all the, these kinds of uh, technologies, but we will never do it in a way that compromises the driving experience. It's got to be about providing a fantastic driving experience. And that's why it's always this incremental, like the, the car comes and finds you in the car park or something cute like that. It's all about cute little features that, that pe- will cause people to pay more. Or BMW had something similar to this where they released a video of their self-driving car driving itself, doing power slides around a track, which is, it's, it's exactly what you would predict the manufacturers to do when faced with a technology like this, which is how can we make more money out of our existing customers? It's, this is baked into the culture of these firms to produce these fantastic driving experiences as opposed to a firm that's willing to reset and think about how can we take this technology and leverage it to disrupt. So in a vacuum, I would certainly, I, mean, I agree with you, uh, and in a vacuum, I would say that that means the existing car manufacturers are doomed and Google mm. is a much better place because they're they're, they're going to come out with this, this solution and mm. it's going to be focused on these little cute bubble cars that are just about getting around and, tra- and transportation to get the job done to get you somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's not about actual driving experience. And people romanticize the open road and driving. The fact of the matter is that driving sucks 98% of the time, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, it's a function that needs to be done. It's a right. job that needs to be done. It's not like, yes, people do drive for fun and enjoy it, but it, that's the, the space that carries in people's imagination vastly, vastly uh, is much is vastly larger than the reality of day to day life. Mm-hmm. When people are commuting to work in the morning and they're grumpy because they're like because their wrist hurts, like me. Um, that said, mm. that's so in a vacuum. I agree with you. The problem is that we're not in a vacuum, mm. and this is then this is I think a really interesting point to think about when it comes to talking about different innovations, how they come to market. Yes, the 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 business model of the cars. Uh, of the car makers pushes them to view things like uh, assisted driving in incremental approach to be favorable because it preserves their business model. Mm. However, there is, there is a massive uh, scarce resource out there. And that scarce resource is, is existing roads. And, and, Right now, the U.S. sold 17.5 million new cars last year. There's like mm-hmm. 250 million U.S. cars on the road. Uh, China sold 24 million cars last year. And 98% of them are, are higher, or no, 100% of them basically, are meant to be driven by a human. Mm-hmm. Again, some of them might have, have mild sorts of things. Uh, the issue is that the when you have all these human p- driven cars on the road bringing to market a purely uh a pure automatic you know uh what's what's the word a self-driving car or autonomous 
Yeah, thank you. A, a purely autonomous car is is made much more difficult, right? If yeah. if if Google could uh, could legislate that there be no more human driven car, cars mm. on the road, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I noticed in, in, in Daily Update yesterday. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they could actually be on the road now. Right, like this vision of self-driving cars that are going around ferrying people, moving around. If all those cars were were networked together and they knew where each other were, and they could mm. they could use each other's sensors and systems to to triangulate and like have full knowledge of what's happening all over the place. Mm-hmm. I like we we would be far closer to this technology than we are the reality, which is that uh, a Google self-driving car has to deal with a bunch of human-driven cars mm. and obstacles and has less visibility and can't depend on all the other cars on the road to feed it information. Hmm. And that is, and again, we just sold 17.5 million, million additional obstacles to a self-driving future last year. Yeah. I I mean that the, the, the car sales, the existing car sales. um, uh, So I I like a lot of what you said, but the, the existing car sales, I don't view as a, like whenever industries get disrupted, it's often the case like the the last year before they get disrupted is fantastic, and then it drops off a cliff. So the existing car sales, I'm I'm not so concerned about. No, I, I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not sorry. making the point to no, say no, that no. there's lots of cars out there. I'm saying that we're, we're if if you take it as a given that human driven cars make a autonomous car future more challenging, we're increasing the difficulty, right? For the iPhone, for there being more Blackberries sold didn't make it more difficult for an iPhone to exist. No, 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 no. I t- granted, and sorry to have picked on that because it mis- it, 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 um, mis- it, it, demonst- it, it made it feel like I was misconstruing your point, which I wasn't. I think your point is incredibly well made that if we were to wipe the slate clean and start again, uh, or, or you're right, Google was to legislate to get rid of human-driven cars, then sure. Um, I think I think there are a couple of things. I think the fact that um, there are companies now that exist where their business models aren't tied to the existing ways of doing things and, and smell an opportunity will mean that, yeah, it's more difficult, but that's not going to stop them. Th- there is one other, There's, uh, but, but there's. I'll, I'll go even further than that. And this is a point that you made in your daily update. There's actually a company out there now whose business model is entirely consistent with solving this along the way. And that is Uber, right? Like Uber, they are, they are a hybrid in the sense that they are able to operate, their business model operates fantastically under the existing system and it will, uh, by having cars on the road and having phones, people using their app in phones, I can see a, a, a hybrid way of them figuring out how to get there. Um, I totally granted it's going to be more difficult, but unlike in the past where the only people who were interested in solving it weren't really interested in solving it because their business models caused them not to want to solve it, there are now players that have a blank business model or even better yet, there are players whose business model encourages them to solve it. So now I think, yeah, it's going to be more difficult, but it's just a matter of time. Right. No, I, I mean, I, I agree Uber is the future and that's, you know, that, but before we get to that, I think it's worth teasing apart more the, 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 cause there's kind of, I think there's kind of a, a sense, particularly in technology companies that 
Um, you know, and it's totally fair that that Google is a big threat to Uber. I mean, imagine if Google suddenly deployed all these all these cars mm-hmm. on the road, and that is that is the case. I mean, the you know, if Google could tomorrow have uh, a fleet of self driving cars that eliminated the biggest cost to uh, to Uber's model, um, which is the driver. Uh, you know, the the one the, the I, I've written a lot about why I think Uber. Uh, has more dominant sort of, uh, you know, network effects than people think. And a lot of it is based on consumer Mm. preference around commodities, which tends to be very consistent and hard to change. Uh, You you know, the delta of improvement for a consumer to change their sort of default habitual activity has to be pretty significant. That's why introducing new payment systems, for example, is so difficult because credit cards work work pretty well. Whereas, but a a good way, so the more that users get habituated to using a service like Uber, the harder it is to change them. And when you go to a new market and people have already used Uber and it's an in thing, that's why Uber, you know, has so drastically increased their their weed over Lyft, even since I first wrote about this a, a year and a half ago. But cutting the price in half would be a pretty big delta of improvement, right? Yeah. So if you had all these, these self-driving cars come in, uh, that would really... That would really change the, you know that 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 would that would be a big problem. But that's why I think it's worth, uh, but again that that's a that's weeping forward to this future where all these cars are on mm-hmm. the road without, and I uh, that's why I think it's important to think about. Well, what will these cars be on the road, and will they will they be on on the road soon? And that's why thinking about the very real difficulties in making this happen, and it's not just and so one, it's a technological mm-hmm. problem. Like the, the the more human driven cars there are on there, the more difficult the problem is. Um, Google is addressing this through, you know, like like Google does through data, like they they mapping like every single inch of of, of the roads. And you say, well, are they going to map the whole world? Well, yeah. that's what people said about Google Street View, and they did. <laughs> um, but what makes it partic- even more challenging is, is uh, the environment changes, mm-hmm. right? Uh, temporary stoplights can go up overnight. And, and as of you know, 2014, there, there, there's a story about Google. You know, we'll put in the show notes. But um, you know, that's a challenge for a Google car. Like suddenly there's a, a streetlight there that wasn't in their – wasn't in, in 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 their data set, right? And and to be able to deal with that is is challenging. Um, and so, yes, it's not just that they need to, with their current approach, map to a very high degree of fidelity uh, all the streets where Google Cars is going to operate, but they have to keep them updated very regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I which uh, I think, for example, gets at why there's rumors about Google partnering with Ford, for example, or with other existing auto companies because. Wouldn't it be better instead of running Google Street cars down the road with these massive contraptions on them if you could get all your sensors and stuff into cars that are already on the road? Like, and so I like that's that's certainly going to be a big aspect of this happening. But the point remains: like, there are real and significant mm-hmm. obstacles to moving this from the laboratory or even from Mountain View to other places, and then you layer on top to the point we talked about before, the regulatory issue. Uh, California's proposed regulations require there to be a driver behind mm-hmm. the wheel uh, who is able to take over in case of, of, of whatever. And Google's, you know, understandably upset about this because their whole point is we want, like, we want to leapfrog that. We want to, we want to get to this, to, to a fully autonomous approach in that, and my my entire point again is yes, I grant that the business model of incumbents lends itself; they're incentivized to pursue this incremental approach. Mm-hmm. 
But there are other reasons to think that the incremental approach, even if in a vacuum it's not ideal, uh, might actually end up being the way things go. It's not just uh, there's technological reasons and the fact there's lots of human cars on the road, like just the world as it is. And there's regulatory reasons and like, uh, you know, the, the, the track record of regulators embracing a, a 180 degree shift in a paradigm is not particularly stellar, right? Usually you, 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 you get there step by step. Um, and, and the more that these forces conspire to push towards step by step, the, the, the less of a importance Google's uh, technological advantage might have. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think there's a um, there's a countervailing force though that that may play into this, and that is the third of the elements that that you I, that you talked about in your article, and that is transportation as a service. I think, and I, this this became. Um, very personal for me. And I think we've talked about this previously, but when I moved out to California, I didn't have a car and I just assumed I needed one. And then I actually tried living out here without one. And I realized that of all the jobs I needed, like between getting from Palo Alto up to San Francisco, I could take the train, getting to work, I could ride my bike and getting everywhere else, I could take Uber or Lyft. I, I realized that the last job that was left for me uh, for a car to do was actually that open road entertainment thing. And then I realized I was buying a very expensive toy. I think like the vast majority of cars spend 95% of their life sitting parked on the side of the road waiting for someone to come. And I think this trend towards, it will be slow, but this trend towards uh, more and more people viewing transportation as a service is going to increase. And as that happens, the traditional manufacturers, uh, the traditional manufacturers clout is going to reduce. I think people's views towards transportation and views around who should be driving will start to change. And I also think, again, like it will give a company like Uber an incredible amount of power. So it may not play into Google's hands, but you could see them starting to require that their drivers install video cameras, for example, and they say it's under the guise of like what happens if there's an accident, but they could start to build up a very detailed map of all those elements like you talked about, like there's an, there's a new stop sign that's, that's being introduced. Like they would be able to get that information in real time from all those vehicles that they had on the road. So I think this, this third element may actually start to push, like it pushes towards that future where autonomous vehicles are likely. And I think, um, and, and Uber wants to get there as well, because again, from their perspective, getting the driver out of the car greatly reduces the cost that they're able to offer um, passengers, which then further uh, extends their advantage in terms of like, well, why would I own a car when I can get around so much more cheaply using Uber? Right. And I think the 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 broader, and you, I mean, you mentioned this previously, but the 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 third angle here is the you know transportation as a service, where instead of an individual owning a car, they they you know. A fleet owns it, or in, in you know, however that works mm. out, whether it's the individual drivers or, or or whatever it might be, and um, you know, I mentioned that it's easy to imagine a future where Google threatens Uber, but the the underappreciated aspect of Uber, um, and the reason why we spend so much time on it, you know, in in, a, in the big picture, it, it comes down to this point. Um, so I guess this is finally our definitive Uber episode. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but is Uber as it is today uh, uses all of its it uses today's technologies and and by and large with the obvious you know taxi regulations ever fits in today's sort of sort of mm-hmm. paradigm like it, it's not um you can envision a future of google cars driving around picking people up but there's all these there's there's so many obstacles right there's the technical obstacles there's the regulatory obstacles there's the ownership obstacles like the point being like it's really hard to bring about the future when you're fighting multiple wars at mm. once Mm. And, and and so that's the reason that's why I wanted to to spend time on thinking through those through before getting to mm. Uber because uh it's so easy to see just think about Google and Uber together and say oh yeah Google would be a big problem for Uber but Google has to actually get to market mm. first whereas Uber Uber is fighting one battle and that that battle is around taxi regulations and things like that right but they're using existing cars Right, I took an Uber yesterday. It was like a Toyota Corolla or something. Right, they're using human drivers, and they're using the smartphones in, in our pockets and, and connected to the cloud. And there's something so powerful about if you want to think about the future, about how you're going to get from here to there. Uh, you, you like it's it's hard to fight multiple battles at, at the same time particularly when those battles are not like the technological one from Google's perspective, like it's like, wow, Google is taking on this moon project, right? Self-driving cars. But if you think about it in context, the technology is the Mm, easy part. mm. And the reason it's easy is because it's completely under your control. Google controls the progress they make on technology. They they can work on it harder. They can apply more, you know, a mythical man hour, but they can apply more bodies to it. The problem when it comes to the regulatory options or the, the ownership options is now you're dealing with, with social mores and governments and stuff like that. And you're dealing with all these things that are out of your control. And that makes it much harder to, to push something forward. Uh, so again, so then, so, so what, what does Uber have that? So Uber, so what Uber is nothing, right? Uber is just the present. No, what Uber has is actually the most powerful piece, which is they have the business model of the future. So yeah, the business model of Uber is a, transportation as a service where you pay for it when you use it. And the rest of the time, you're not paying a dime. I'm sitting here at my desk. I'm not paying for my Uber, right? Because I'm not using it. And again, when you think about transportation as being a function and fitting in a broader framework of whether that be mass transit, whether that be, you know, flying, whether that be riding your bike, all those sorts of things. uh, There's lots about actually owning a car that doesn't necessarily make sense, particularly for a generation that is being raised with the assumption that there is something to fill their time, right? Uh, it, when when what you had to do is watch TV or read the newspaper, like, yeah, maybe it's kind of fun to get behind the wheel. When you have a smartphone, and the reason we talk about Facebook being so valuable, for example, or we talk about pay-to-play games, is there is this device that does a wonderful job of filling in every free moment of our day which means uh, the opportunity cost of empty time has increased significantly, right? Before, it was like driving a car versus like sitting on a bus and reading the newspaper. Like, well, you know, kind of driving a car and having the additional flexibility of going where I want to and listening to my own music on the radio and stuff, like it was a much closer trade-off. Now, the trade-off is 
I uh, driving my car and arguably sitting in traffic because the number of cars are increasing far mm-hmm. more rapidly than the number of, of roads are. Um, or doing a, a pretty much anything I want and stuff that that I, I generally enjoy, enjoy doing. Like the 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 choice and so people, you have young people that are coming up with this assumption that this is how things are. And they're looking at car ownership in a very different way than not just us, but particularly people older than us who in their youth didn't have that sort of thing. And, um, and, and in the future, when we get to a world of self-driving cars and fully electric, what, what is ownership going to look like? What is the business model of transportation going to look like? It's going to look like Uber's model. So Uber has one piece that is so clearly the future. And in the meantime, they're able to leverage all the existing infrastructure. And so you question, so who's going to have the advantage? Is it going to be the company that's building the technology of the future, knowing that lots of com- people work on building it? Technology ultimately gets commoditized, right? That's what happened with cars. Like it does. That's just what happens. What 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 persists? Uh uh and well, if Uber builds this network and this business model, will they just be able to buy the technology? Will they be able to build it themselves? Uh will will the self-driving technology that Google is building that we all want to say is disruptive? Will it actually end up being a sustaining technology mm, mm, for mm. a disruptive business model, which is what Uber is building? Yes, that's that's the key point right there. That is exactly right. It's that it's a that self driving becomes a sustaining a sustaining innovation to a disruptive business model, whereas with the existing manufacturers, uh, self driving is a sustaining uh, sustaining innovation to a sustaining business model, and that's. I mean, but here's the thing, even if they, even if, let's just imagine a world where for regulatory reasons or whatever, even if they don't get to the point where self-driving cars are ever actually allowed, um, I, I still think the existing manufacturers are in an incredible amount of trouble because as, so having transportation as a service whether it's with self-driving cars or with someone else driving a car results in such uh, uh, results in a much fewer number of total vehicles sold. And as that starts to happen, it's going to like these these manufacturers are and all the suppliers and everyone in the ecosystem are geared up to supply all these vehicles. And as that starts to come undone, as that generation that you described starts to reject car ownership for all the reasons you described, which I completely agree with, the whole the the, the whole thing is just going to come undone at the seams. Well, I mean, I. It, we'll see how many fewer cars are produced because that, I mean, at the end of the day, like there's going to be a ton of wear and tear on these cars, right? They're going to have to be replaced much more frequently. Um, but I think the more important thing is that if a car is being hired to do a job, literally, like literally being hired to do a job, not like the framework right. idea, it's literally being hired to do a job. Uh, it, 
is the focus of the car going to be like luxury and all and it, these various features? No, it's going to be it's going right. to be a very functional sort yes. of thing, which means the profit margins are going to disappear. It's going to be a pure commodity, it's, right? And and we can look at the PC industry or any other I, in number of industries to see what happens when it's totally I, I commoditized. I feel like there's a really a really powerful analogy here. Is uh, there's another there's another industry where transportation is considered basically like a service, and that's the airline industry and it's that's what I think is going to end up happening to the manufacturers. Right now, the manufacturers are like that Mercedes and that BMW example that I gave earlier, where they're trying to differentiate on uh, the ultimate driving experience. And I get it. I, I mean, I, I, that's that's how you build a fantastic margin business by building a better product along performance that consumers care about. But when when consumers stop owning the vehicles. Uh, and it starts to go to a model where it's it's a supplier owning the vehicles, then it starts to, like, nobody cares whether they get on an Airbus or a Boeing plane. Yeah, I, I care if the seats are comfortable or not, but, but, but fundamentally, I don't really care about it. And so there's going to be this massive consolidation of, of the manufacturers, I think, as this plays out. And it's, it's going to be pretty painful in terms of getting there. Yeah, I mean one thing one thing to note is that um it, it, yes, you're right on the consolidation front. In fact, they've consolidated to the degree that uh now uh, I believe that Boeing and Airbus are relatively consistently profitable. Yes. Um but that's because there's only right. two of them, right? And no, there you're right. There used to be like 10 or 15 or 20 you know, McDonald Douglas uh this first one that popped in my head. Uh and there's smaller ones Bombardier that 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 are um, although they've they've had a tough time getting a new plane out recently. Um, yeah, no, but there will be a lot of consolidation, absolutely. Uh, one thing that is interesting, if we really want to go to rabbit hole, is think about why it is that airlines are so consistently, uh, are really consistently uh, not profitable, yet we can still be uh, a little more bullish about about Uber. Um, that's something to think about, um, but that that we could go way down the rat hole on that. <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah, like I... But no, but but no, but that's that's the real risk, and and the automakers are aware of this. It's it's becoming a commodity. Um, and, what, wait, be, and, be explicit. What's becoming a commodity? No, the the real risk for automakers is cars becoming I mean, a commodity. I, I, they, I, just, I don't think there's anything they can do to stop it. I think it's inevitable. Right. Well. Um, well, what's interesting is in this world uh, of of a commoditized, you know, transportation as a service. Uh, the we talked about the idea of status, uh, and right now electric cars like Teslas are are there's a huge status component to buying them. Um, how much more uh, significant does status become? Right, you, if if your primary use case for a car is as you put it to be a toy, um, well, uh, you know about people and their toys, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it, which is the reason I mentioned this is again. Uh, Think of anything about the Apple car, for example. Um, yes, it's easy in the, and we've both said in the very long run, in a world where transportation is provided as a service, like what's the point? What's the point of of an Apple car? Well, there's two. There's two things. One, um, the question is how long this will take, right? I mean, just because uh, the iPod went obsolete in seven or eight years doesn't mean Apple shouldn't have made it. Uh, on the on mm -hmm. and on the flip side. It's fair to argue that um, the more status and more uh, enjoyable 
a car, the longer its future, the longer it will be able to persist as a viable as a viable. Yeah, I, it's a it's a really interesting question, and I have a, a mi- I have mixed feelings about it. I think it depends ultimately on how good the performance of the transportation as a service gets, and if the transportation as a service ultimately get self-driving cars that zip around town at a couple of hundred miles an hour uh, with a raised speed limit versus humans because they're that much safer because accidents don't happen, then I think the person who's seen driving around in their Lamborghini is going to kind of be akin to the person who's now seen driving around in their horse-drawn chariot or horse-drawn cart from a previous era. Yeah, those things got very gilded and very beautiful towards the end of their lives, um, but but the performance of the disruptive replacement improved to such a point when people start to see you doing things, uh, making purchases like this just for the purpose of status. I think um, I think they raise their eyebrows. Now, the, allow me to play devil's advocate. Right, but, but what's but what's 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 the time frame for this? It's probably. I mean, that's. I, this is probably a while. I mean, I, I think you made the point and it's it's well made that the number of people questioning the fundamental assumptions of car ownership, it's going to be tied to people's generational status. I think uh, older people are probably much less likely to question it. Um, I questioned it because I was picked up out of my environment, placed down with a blank slate. And I was like, oh gosh, I'm only buying it because it's a toy. I think young people as they come of age will question it. So it's I, I, I still think we're talking, it's not going to be something that happens overnight. And just to play devil's advocate on myself, people still buy private jets as well. Um, uh, uh, but that's because f- I, I feel fundamentally transportation of a service of the airline industry is horrific. I don't think that's going to be quite the case when we think about this with as, as the car industry plays out or, or the transportation industry plays out on the ground anyway. The one point I did want, the one thing I, scenario I did want to bring up that I didn't address uh-huh. in either the article or the daily update uh, is the the question of we're looking at. I already talked about you can tease apart the future of of transportation in these kind of three pieces, mm. right? Um, and you had the great quote, you know, the future is unevenly applied. Well, there's also a possibility that the way this is implemented around the world might be different. Yes. So you have like London, for example, already has the 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 um what's what is it the the pricing for downtown you have to pay uh, congestion charge or- congestion congestion right exactly. Imagine if a place like London or Manhattan or Singapore, say, uh, in some defined area, did outlaw human driving cars, and mm. only allowed uh truly autonomous vehicles. Uh, one, it would probably do wonders for the quality of living. Like imagine Manhattan filled with a bunch of uh, self-driving cars, mm. right? Like that, that were just ferrying people around and, and, and everyone, everyone showed that like uh, two, it would probably enable the technology to be brought to market much more quickly again, because a network of cars not having to worry about the, you know, the, the human, mm. you know, mm. code monkey in there. Um, <laughs> and then three, that that's Uber's heart. Right. That's that is the Uber market. And this, I think, is is should Google actually threaten Uber? Uh, This is how it would manifest itself, where uh, dense urban districts through do actually outlaw human driving through some aspect of the time and to have some sort of contract, you know, where Google provides this whole service or Google in conjunction with another automaker and 
Uh, and then, mm. and then you can imagine a future where it works so well mm. and it's so obviously superior to the current system that there actually is real traction made to extend this beyond that. And again, we already mm. talked about, um, you know, getting into highways is actually the easy mm. part of it. Uh, and so if, if, if this does like right now, I think all things being equal, looking at the world as it is Uber with their future business model, I think is well, is, is the best place to provide the service of the future and then adopt technology, like bring it on board as sustained technology in a way that they're, they're not going to be disrupted by someone having better tech or someone having, you know, a, a different mm. platform. Like I think, but, but if there is a step change, like a, a dramatic change, and I think this is my, how it might come about, then, well, maybe we would leapfrog to the future and the company that is focused on doing that leapfrogging would be, would be the best place. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And, You know what it's reminding me of? Um, How it's played out in the telecommunications market with Google trying to compete with the other other internet providers where um, it's been impossible for people, uh, for for companies, new companies to come in and compete against the incumbent providers uh, from a regulatory perspective. So what Google went out and did was uh, uh, found municipalities or, or regions that were very, um, welcoming of this idea that Google uh, came in, uh, that there was competition, and and people compete to have Google provide that internet, um, provide the internet service. It's it's almost a similar model here, where rather than Google trying to think about taking the world, it should actually focus on a very specific region, a very specific, uh, not just from a, the perspective of making sure that it can its cars are able to know when new traffic lights pop up, but that it can engage from a regulatory perspective. Uh, I maybe create this kind of utopia where it demonstrates how wonderful it is with this Google service. And suddenly the rest of the world starts thinking, wow, that, that isn't so bad after all. Right. Uh, so, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be a fascinating, uh, a, a fascinating area, area to watch. I mean, I think that, uh, the, the the core thing, and we we we've mentioned it a couple times, and I concluded with this is, uh, I I don't think there's this is really going to be a a generational sort of shift, right? Where where I I a new generation that just uh, thinks about the 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 issue totally differently uh, will really usher this in. Um, I think that's a similar thing with like TV, for example. That was the analogy that I drew. That like people like people in tech have been predicting the end of the cable bundle for for 20 years and like, okay, yes, we're starting to see some limited signs of it in the last 12 months, but I'm not going to give you much credit when you've been saying <laughs> the same thing for 20 years, right? Mm. Like timing matters. Yeah. Uh, and, and what I think is happening with TV is again, it's, it's, it's the younger generation getting their own houses and just never signing up in the first mm. place. Right. Um, and the other thing that's interesting and, and, and it, it felt a little uncomfortable kind of in, even insinuating this is we're so used to in technology stuff moving faster and faster. And th- th- to some extent, I wonder as a big thing about technology is as it goes into the real world, as it, as it affects, um, actual physical things and actual people's habits mm. and the way they live their lives, uh, things might actually go slower for a while and and it's it's a lot harder than yeah 
people in technology think about to get people to fundamentally change how they live their lives. Even if, even if you look at it in aggregate, you look at the whole and say, it's better this way, do it this Mm -hmm. other way. Like you, you, you underestimate people's resistance to change at your peril. And it, it, people aren't irrational about this. Yeah. That people, like you, the vast majority of people, they're just living their lives. They don't want to have to deal with you it. You hinted at this earlier when you talked about like this, this topic really tapping into this, uh, this uh, funny human fallacy of sunk costs. Like I've bought the car and you described it yourself. I'm going to get the car, the car's park as well because I've bought the car. And it's just by virtue of, I mean, car purchases f- for a lot of people who've done them, uh, they are, and the car manufacturers want it to be this way. They're an emotional purchase. And they're also like one of the largest purchases most people ever make um, short of a house. Like, I don't think there are many other things that you spend more on than a car. So yeah, I, I think as you start tapping into those dynamics, it's going to slow things down. I agree. Well, it's, it's not It's not just the, fa- the sunk cost fallacy. It's that uh, the the only way uh, that living on Uber, at least today, is even uh, remotely approachable from a cost perspective is if you include in your purchase like the cost of purchasing the vehicle, right? But so it's a the reason. So there, I mean, mm, you can yeah. think about the, the the sunk cost fallacy is the idea that. You um you should make all decisions based on your based on where you are today, right? Not because you did something in the past, and so now that should influence what you do. Because what's done is done is basically you know you can sell the the car though, right? And that would that would get you some of the money back. It would obviate the need for parking, gas, insurance, maintenance, all those things. So exactly, but the price you get for selling a car. Uh, you know, is dramatically different. You know, you you drive the car off the lot, you immediately lose. You know. 25% 25% of its value. Um, and then you, uh, but then, yeah, then, but yes, that, 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 that's the point. Like w- calculating the costs. If you presume something's already there, um, it, it does, it changes. But I, it, so. I bet you most people don't even bother calculating the cost. Oh, of course not. I mean, you have to calculate the cost and you have to deal with the hassle and all that sort of stuff. And again, there's just such a tendency, particularly among technologists and you know, particularly you think about a company like Google, this is what, you know, to look at stuff in aggregate. Yeah. To to look at uh, you know Google Google's head of car driving gave a big speech uh, at the Detroit Auto Show this week saying how incremental advances uh, in self driving are a terrible idea and the whole thing is about safety mm. and he's right I, I I have no doubt that he's right it would be safer if all the cars on the road were autonomous but one that's not going to happen uh, unless again there's like these 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 defined areas and two the way people think people people think on their like no one thinks they are going to get in an yeah, accident I, it, you know it's it even if it's this funny thing sorry to interrupt it's this funny thing where if something happens and it's within a human's control it won't make the news like if 10 people i mean if there are 10 independent car accidents over the course of a day in a regular city that won't make the news most likely um, it's, it's this idea that you can go on, you can talk about safety and you're going to change regulators minds around safety of self-driving cars or suddenly regulators are going to wake up and see the light. And yes, if everyone had self-driving cars, the world would be that much safer. Let's do this. Like he's, he's living in a dream world. Well, it's not the regulators. It's normal people. I mean, you're not going to convince normal people to 
make a significant personal sacrifice in order to achieve a, a, a goal in aggregate. Well, right. And, and the you, it's very hard to go to people and say, uh, if 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 you give up your car or if we move to this world, you are you are much less likely to die in a car accident. I mean, the fact of the matter is, people don't people don't think they're going to die in a car accident already. Well, uh, like even even if the chances are high I, I, or I mean, relatively high. I, I'm, I'm I'm I mean, I don't want to get into an, a, a, a debate about who he was targeted, but like even if you do think you're going to get in an accident, you always think it's going to be somebody else's fault, and in which case you're expecting the everyone else to give up their car and get a self-driving car, not me, because I'll never be the cause of an accident with. Right. Very few exactly. exceptions. No, exactly. That does make me think he was speaking to regulators, but your point is also very well made. Cool. Well, we've gone we've gone very long, so we should wrap this. But up. But I love um, this topic. It's so much fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, I you know, I think it's something I, I expect to write more about, and um, is certainly we're just you know we're just we're just getting started. Mm, this was awesome. Thank you. Sounds good. Uh, our thanks to our thanks to Wealthfront for for again again sponsoring this episode. You know, if people if people devote a lot of their wealth to cars, well, they're they're probably not very good at investing because cars <laughs> car, car terrible are not investment. A good investment. Yeah. Uh, this episode uh, is sponsored by Wealthfront. Wealthfront is uh, automates habits and strategies that investors should be using on a regular basis, but normally aren't. It's like people thinking that they're that yes, on average, you're better off putting your money in a sort of <laughs> like managed fund, but they think they can beat the mm-hmm. market. Like that's how people think about like mm-hmm. safe driving, right? Yep. Uh, great investing is a marathon, not a sprint. And little things that you may not be familiar with, like automated tax loss harvesting, rebalancing, and smart dividend reinvesting, can add up to very large amounts of money over time. Wealthfront does all those things to your money automatically as an exponent listener. You'll get fifteen thousand dollars managed for free if you decide to open an account. But just start with seeing the portfolio that they would suggest for you. Take two minutes, fill out their questionnaire at wealthfront.com/exponent. It's free, and you don't even need to give them your email address. You can just try it out. Uh, Wealthfront is an SEC registered investment advisor. Investing in securities involves risk, and there is the possibility of losing money. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Please visit wealthfront.com to read their full disclosure. After this episode, there are going to be a whole bunch of exponent listeners going out, selling their cars, putting the money into Wealthfront. And uh, taking Uber everywhere. What do you think? I'm getting $15,000 managed for free. (laughs) Exactly. If they go to the slash exponent link, though. Sounds good. All right. Uh, Well, I will will talk to you later. Sounds good, mate. Thanks. Uh, See ya.